Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm honored to have the famous LinkedIn famous Jessica Williams on the program. <laughs> I don't know that I'm LinkedIn famous, but I will take it. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, I had Dale Dupree on the program a while back, and I actually said, you're LinkedIn famous. He goes, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, like, am I an influencer? I don't know. <laughs> I, at 25,000 followers, you're an influencer, right? <laughs> I'll take but it. But the real question is, has anyone ever recognized you on the street as Jessica from LinkedIn? They have, and it was the funniest thing because I didn't know what was happening. And we were at a networking event, and this young lady came up to me, and I saw her looking at me, and she was like, and I guess she had pulled up my profile as she was standing there. So she had my LinkedIn profile up, and she walked up to me, and she was like, oh, my God, it's you. And I was like, hi. Like, <laughs> and so we had like a 30-minute conversation. She works in HR. She's been following me for years and all that. But it was very funny because I didn't I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> well, now let me see. Officially, I, I called it. You are LinkedIn famous. <laughs> I'll take it. So, Jessica, I, I reached out because I, I've had Megan from Refine Labs on the program. Big, big fan of Chris and what he's done with the company and how he built his presence on LinkedIn early on. But that's not why I reached out. It's how I saw you initially. But why I reached out is the stuff you're putting out. Right, your your point of view is out there. Chris and the team let you have your own point of view. You've started this podcast and you're building a destination employer. I've actually tagged you guys in multiple posts about destination employers. So let's start there. Then I'm going to work our way back to how you got into this situation. So define a destination employer. Yeah. So this is something I have to give all the credit to Megan that are the Refine Labs COO, because this is something that she talked to me about when I interviewed for the job. So she told me in the interview, I want to create a talent destination. We know that people don't go to jobs anymore and stay there for 30 years. Like, But we want people to come here, get something out of it. And if they do move on, we want to have an alumni program. This was in my interview. And I remember thinking, that's a very new way of thinking about talent. Like, honestly, in my past, people would get angry when someone leaves. And it's very much a you have to be with us mentality. Right. And when you think of a talent destination, it's somewhere where someone's going to go. They're going to grow their skill set. They're going to be, I always say iron sharpens iron. They're going to be around other high, think about very top level people that can make you better. So that's where the talent destination is. And then you also have to think about the culture. So you have you should have a culture of freedom, literally no micromanagement. How are you talking about mental health? How are you talking about psychological safety? So it's a place where someone can go, whether that's a year, three years, five years, our business hasn't even been open for five years, but you see what I'm saying? Like they can go and they can stay and sharpen their skill set. And if they leave, they are better because they were at Refine Labs. Yeah. The alumni thing really threw me, mm -hmm. right? The fact that you want to build a network of people who used to work yes. there. That's a bold move because they probably should only have good things to say, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, they should be sharing their positive experience. And like you said, how it launched them into other opportunities. Exactly. And I talked to them. So we have people that have left and I have a whole process of like continuing to talk to them, asking them if they're okay. We want them to be boomerang employees. We want them eventually to come back. So we foster that relationship. Once you leave, I'm still talking to you. You still are a Refine Labs person, even if you left. Yeah. And I think it's amazing that you mentioned Refine Labs is really as a growing company, less than three years, yeah, like two three or years. three years, mm -hmm. this growth has happened. So you've had the opportunity to come in and really start with a clean slate and form this culture. And particularly during COVID, right, where 
the playbook has been thrown out. It's all new. And you're 100% remote. 100%. Yep. We don't even have a physical office. You can be wherever you want to be, whether that's in the US or Canada. We've had employees that were nomadic. (laughs) Like we had one young man who was driving around in an RV with his partner. And we were like, we would play a game of where are you today? And he'd show us around. But we don't care where you are as long as you got the internet. (laughs) Well, and I think the challenge for you in your role is you've onboarded so many people so quickly is how to convey that culture through a screen yes. right, like this. I mean, how do you how do you do that? And I know you've done some in-person events where the whole company gets together. Chris and several people speak and get everybody cited, but that started with you and Megan. And and I I think if I understand this correctly, you created the playbook. I like did. You wrote the playbook for the company. Walk us through that process. Yeah. So another thing that came up in my interview is I... I'm very, when I interview somewhere, I want you to know what you're really going to get. So I'm very, if you want traditional HR, I'm not your person. If you want someone that's going to be quoting a handbook, I'm not your person. And so I brought that up and I said, what I want to do is create a culture playbook. I think a handbook is a legal document where there's a place for that when someone starts, but it's basically telling people what not to do. It's a legal document. I want to tell people, what is it like to really work here? Good, bad, ugly. Even in the playbook, it says, you will work hard. Like, you know, you will feel a sense of overwhelm sometimes because we want you to know what's really going on. And Chris and Megan, power to them. They like from day one, they let me run with it. I said, I have this vision. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to write it how I actually speak. (laughs) So there's a whole section called the hell Naw section. And I say that all the time (laughs) of like things that we will not tolerate, but it took the first three months. And at the time we only had about 40 employees. So I sat down with every single employee and asked them, what is the culture right now? And what do you wish it would be in the future? So it was like a clean slate of what's happening right now and what could we do differently? Because I'm not under any illusion that is the perfect place to work. Like there are always things we could do better. So having that honest conversation was perfect when I first started because it wasn't like they felt a need to put up a wall because I wasn't saying the culture was amazing. I was just saying, what is it? You know, what is it like to work here so that I can write it down? You mentioned an interesting number. I have done this in experience at several companies. When you get to 50 mm-hmm. people, things change. Yes. And it, it's a magic number. It, yep. Yeah. Culture changes. You start, you don't know everybody by first name, yeah. particularly when you don't work in the same building with them. So somebody might have been onboarded and you might not meet them for 30, 40, 60 days unless your department's cross, right? You have some sort of a meeting. So when you interviewed the 40 people that were there to begin with, what were the things that stood out to you about the culture that you were able to incorporate into the handbook? There was a the, lot. I guess the guidebook, yeah. is what you call it. The biggest thing that came to mind was that Chris and Megan were so transparent when it came to the state of the business. During all hands meeting, they show people the financial statement. And I remember thinking, what, what? You know, people can like record this or screen share all this stuff. And their stance is we trust them. We want them to be bought into the business. We want them to be financially literate because a lot of employees, when you tell them anything about the company, you know, ARR, you know, all these things, they don't know what you're talking about. So they also think of it as a learning opportunity. Like we're going to teach people if they ever want to go be an entrepreneur and run their own business, how Chris runs his business. So he sees it as a teachable moment. So that shocked me, like the state of transparency to the feeling of letting people be who they are. So if you look on LinkedIn and you follow Refine Labs, you would think we have hundreds of employees. We don't. (laughs) I've had people ask, like, do you guys have like thousands of employees? I'm like, no, but we believe that all of our employees have like side hustles. They're doing things during working hours. We don't have we don't have a problem at all if they're on social media. Do your thing. Whereas other companies, that would not be okay. I've actually never worked at another company where that would be acceptable. And it actually even took me some time to be like, 
we're just letting them do this? Or, or like, am I allowed to do this? And like, I have my own career coaching business and it's like, yeah, I promote it all the time. I'm talking about it all the time. It's not a problem. So even just simply treating people like adults is shocking from an HR standpoint. <laughs> it really is. I was actually asked by a former employer to stop doing this podcast. I'm sure. Yeah. Because they felt my personal brand was out accelerating the companies, which I said, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not surprised by that at all. <laughs> yeah. I said, look, the personal brands are the rising tide oh, yeah. that floats the ship, which is the company brand. And you have no idea. And you guys have done it better than anybody. Literally have set the bar for what that looks like. Because you're right. I see people who have other content on LinkedIn, and now all of a sudden, they're now working at Refine Labs. Like Todd Clauser is one of my favorite examples. Like, this guy was everywhere, and now he's there doing his thing, and it's working. Oh, yeah. He's I mean, making content during the day. He's doing his uh, YouTube channel. Like, he's doing it all, and we have no issue. Like, do what you need to do as long as it's if your personal brand. We even talk about personal branding. Like, that's actually, we have conversations about that. Like, what is your personal brand? I've had one-on-ones with my own team members to say, what's your personal brand? What is it you want to do in the future? That would never, never, never happen anywhere else. <laughs> no. And you touched on this word, which gets abused a lot, which is trust. Oh, yeah. I have always had a difficult time if I sat in a leadership meeting and someone said, well, we can't show them that because someone will do something bad with that or harmful. I'm like, well, then they shouldn't be. Here. Yeah. Then you don't trust them. Right. And by the way, that is so hard. Right? It is hard. It is so hard. Need your reaction to keep it close. <laughs> and if you've been burned once, yeah. you just feel like, you know, it, it gets out of my span of control. I don't know these people as well as we should. Somebody's going to do something harmful. And they're they're right. It could happen. Absolutely. But it's not the end of the world. And by the way, trust becomes one of those things where people, they self-police that, right? They'll start to sense when people aren't pulling their weight and they can't trust them. And then becomes pretty apparent. That's in our culture book. We have a statement in there that says, I get very up in arms when people talk about a job and they talk about that's their family. No, no, no. It is in our culture book. We are not your family. I say it very clearly. We are not your family. We are a team. But at any time that you are not pulling your weight, you will leave. Literally, I wrote it that way because I want to be very clear that we are nice, we're respectful, but we are not your family. Don't use the family. So refreshing. So refreshing because there's so much stuff out there about, you know, soft and family. It's, you're right. You can't fire your family. I hate to say that. It sounds cliche, but it is really yeah, true. It's true. Right. You have to have really tough conversations. It's a line. And stick with them. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. I feel very strongly that when you say that it's manipulative, I don't like it. And I feel like it's when you do that, you're manipulating employees to feel a sense of security that you actually cannot guarantee them. Not only that, but you're also insinuating that you expect them to prioritize the company over their family. Boom. Yep. Right. We are not. And uh -uh. that's where things. Nope. <laughs> it can't happen. And and by the way, if people like their job and they like the people they work with, they feel trusted, they have some freedom, right? I actually was debating whether or not work-life home would somehow balance itself out. And I actually, the comment I said was, I think for me, for me personally, it's it's a 24-7 thing. Oh, yeah. I don't have to schedule my, my family life around my work life or vice versa. I blend them together. And I think that's the new norm. And for some people, they're very uncomfortable not having butts and seats or oh, set yeah. hours. Yeah. So how did you, when you created, I like the idea, by the way, of a guidebook versus, versus a handbook. When you sat down to write this, had you done one of these before or did you kind of start and say, I get a chance to do something I haven't done and kind of outline it, walk us through that process? Yeah. So I actually had written one before, but it was not to the extent of this one. The, the previous one was literally maybe two pages and it was more of like a we would use it as a recruitment document. So that's actually what sparked the idea that if we made this much more inclusive, a bigger book, like truly go through what it's like to be here, what we expect from you, testimonials from employees, like 
all of those things in a very non-legal terms, like how someone would be talking to you, then it also helps with employer branding. It helps with recruiting. It helps with our current employees. We revise it every six months. So every six months we reissue it. I go back to employees and hold like listening sessions. Like what, is this still true? Do we still believe this here or do we need to change it? Hence the reason that we actually recently changed our core values because we said the previous ones didn't fit who we were anymore because we made those when we had 10 people. It should be a liquid, like breathing document. You should be able to change it at any time. How many employees are there now? 125. So when you look back at the original 40, you've tripled the size of the company since you've been there. Does anything feel different than that for those first couple of days? Absolutely. And I think to your point earlier, when I did this, we had 40 people and we hit that magic 50 number and it, it is different. I've actually added to my team, like I now have a director of employer branding for this exact reason. Like how are we branding externally and how are we branding to our current employees? And I think of him like the extension of like the marketing sales, yeah. like marketing the sales is employer branding to recruiting. And how many, I know that the, the employee branding is a, vol- it's a volunteer activity. It's clearly called out like this is important to us, but it's up to you to do it. Do you get the feeling that the people that are doing it are doing it joyfully or do they feel like they're kind of being dragged along? No, I feel like they're doing it joyfully. And it's actually ironic because we tend to recruit people that want to do that. So it, uh, because it's like a cycle now that we started doing it, I'd say after the first 50 people, it became a part of like people would reach out specifically like I don't even want to see Chris's inbox. Like people reach out to him all day, every day about jobs. And it's like they want to come work here and they see what we're doing. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling. <laughs> oh, when I first met Megan, I'm like, you know, Megan, I can help. Well, I can't help you. Be- <laughs> like, literally, no way. <laughs> it's like the only company I could never recruit for is Refinal. And it's true. <laughs> but that's how it should be, right? Because yeah. you're not attracting, you're attracting great talent. Yeah. They want to work here. Like it's, yeah. I think the, it's funny because I recently had a conversation with an employee who basically said in so many words, where I used to work, I was the top person. Everybody came to me for my opinion and I come here and I'm no longer that person. And it was a hard adjustment. So it's hard. It's easy to be the best where you're the best and everybody comes to you. But it's hard when you go somewhere else where you're not necessarily the best anymore. And you got to learn. <laughs> well, and it's the best place to grow. Yeah, exactly. Because I've been at a couple of companies in the same business. I've been in a B2B and B2C digital marketing company where... You know, we had two or three of the best people and no one else was growing because everybody went to the two or three best people and they didn't want that. They wanted to be a place where they were challenged. So that says a lot because there's not a lot of people who are at that level already and get them all under one roof is. Yeah, but it comes, it does. It's funny because it comes with its own set of like, you know, you're not the best anymore. Now you got to play nice in the sandbox. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you keep the business leaning forward? Not only recruiting, but also retaining and developing talent. Yeah. So retention is probably being here at Fine Labs. This has been the easiest HR job I've had when it comes to retention. I will be honest and say that it's it's rare that we have someone leave. But when they do, obviously, we go through the whole alumni process with them. But you have very little turnover. And normally when someone does leave, they're going to like, like we had someone recently leave it. He left from our demand side and went to like a VP role and is now going to come back and be a client of ours. So we have more, I think two or three people that have left, went to a different company and then said, we need Refine Labs to help us. And like now they're a part of our clients. So it's really interesting to see how it works out. (laughs) You know, it is unusual. I probably tag or forward one of your employees posts almost every day to my marketing team. And we're more B2C than we are B2B, but still 90% of the content holds true. 
And because it's written from different people's point of view, it doesn't feel like it's the same regurgitated stuff you'd get from an agency, right? It's like, you know what? That person has a whole completely different thought process. And you know what else comes across? <laughs> these are freaking brilliant people. Oh, yeah. I mean, literally, I'm like, where did they find these people? Yeah. And we don't have any restrictions. So that's been a question that people have come to me from an HR standpoint and say, like, did you give them guidelines on what they can say and what they can talk about? Absolutely not. No. Well, <laughs> it's interesting. I can sense that, but I can also sense that there's a theme. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. People know kind of what their, who their audience is. And again, it's the playbook. I get nothing from this, but I keep pointing people back to your business yeah. and saying, look at these guys. I mean- if you want to build a brand, holy cow, because we're trying to do that in some of our client organizations. And it's really funny to watch people who get nervous about what they're about to say. Oh, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I could do that. Yeah. There's whole businesses now that are all about making your employees your quote unquote influencers or your brand. Sure. Like it is a whole like I think people miss the point of like they could be your biggest advocates. Our mm-hmm. recruiting is not easy, but it's easier because people know who we are because of all of our employees. And right. another thing is we have had possible candidates reach out to our employees like when they're in the recruitment process and say, what is it really like to work there? Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> they do. I know that I've, I've definitely talked to people who said I've checked, I've checked and talked to people. And it's great that you know you're not worried about what they're going to yeah. say. <laughs> like literally I've had people the bed. message me and say, is it okay? And I'm like, absolutely, go for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When you get that much A-level talent, and there's no other way to describe it. You know, there's when I worked at GE, it was cold-hearted, but it was mathematically correct. There's A, B, C, and D talent, right? And B and C talent really can carry a lot of weight in a company. But you want to see that C talent. How can we train them, get them better, and teach them and get them up to B-level talent? Some can, some can't, right? And some of it's not necessarily willpower. It's just skill sets and those things, and you have to manage that. But as you said earlier, when you get that much A-level talent in a room, big personalities, strong opinions, high-level intellect, that's a whole different thing to manage and challenge, right? So what are you doing when you have, I'll call it internal challenges, all the external challenges? We all know that came around social media in the past few months that are out there. Did those things fester inside the organization? Do you have a process of getting people to talk about them in a fairly open-minded, because everyone has their own views and opinions? How do you manage that? Absolutely. So we, to your point, when you have these people that are so good at what they do and they get around other people, either they're going to sharpen, they're going to sharpen each other, or they're going to get some egos going. And as you would expect, we definitely got some egos going of like, people will say they're the best at doing content creation or, you know, all these things, it happens. So one of the things that we have focused on as a people team is communication. So we actually just hired someone internally to do training and development. And our main focus is going to be on collaborative communication because that's where we get into the like the little bit of tussle that I've seen in meetings before. It has been around like, you're not listening to me or like you're not seeing my side of the vision because we don't all agree. That's like the beauty of diversity is you don't want everybody to agree. We, we don't want group think. Chris has been very adamant when he's in meetings, like, please disagree. Like open disagreement is welcomed here. And I always say the difference between a leader and a bully is what happens when you disagree with them. So even as a leadership team, we say, if someone disagrees with you, the expectation is not that you're going to hit them with a million questions and degrade them. It's why help me understand why you think that way. So the focus on communication and psychological safety to allow people to fail. So that's another thing. It's in our core values is that we, if you fail, you learn. 
So Mm -hmm. trying something new for a client, we want to be able to say, we thought outside the box, this client wanted this, we decided to do it, it didn't work out, and now we're going to do something else. But that is hard to do when, you know, we have like a playbook. So one of the things is we've been encouraging our employees like, well, why didn't you do it this way? And they'll say, oh, well, the playbook says, and we're like, okay, get out of the playbook. You know what I mean? So that's kind of something we're dealing with right now. (laughs) That's interesting. So there are companies that would beg for their people to follow the playbook. Exactly. And we're like, no, no. (laughs) So you've got a good playbook, but you want to rewrite it more often, right? You want want to figure it. It's interesting. If you, I would assume to me, if I'm putting my marketing hat on, I would be sitting in front of a potential customers going, that's why you're going to hire us. Exactly. Because this, you know, marketing is as dark social as Chris coined. It's a it's a morphing, ever-changing monster. And if you aren't testing the boundaries and failing every once in a while, you're going to get behind, yeah. period. And we have, I would say, three top people that are going to be a part of our enabling team who that's about to be their new full-time job is test out everything. Why is it this sure. way? We could do it differently. Like, So we're even thinking about them in a certain way of like that we want them to be the experts outside of our clients, test out everything. Why are we doing it this way? Burn it to the ground, come back and do something else. So that's actually something we are definitely thinking about and making it someone's full-time job to just fail, do whatever you need to do to figure it out. <laughs> and if I know you and Megan and Chris, you'll share those failures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> publicly. Say, hey, look, we tried this. It didn't work. We figured why not. If anybody else tried it, tell us what you exactly. got. Because, yeah, that's and that's how you build. Chris will do a really whole episode community. on it. <laughs> oh, sure he will. Sure he will. Of course he will. So you talked about kind of some of the internal ego things. How do you in your role, navigate, and this could be you know a delicate subject, all the things that have come around our society in the past few months and few weeks that are very divisive, right? And I think in your role, you've got to understand there are people on both sides of each one of these fences, right? We all might have our own opinions. I did a piece on this last weekend, and, and my thought process was, look, we all might have very different views, but when you try to understand someone else's views, like literally listen to understand, you'll be amazed how often where they're coming from. Yeah has a lot of commonality where you're coming from. And my message to people is people's point of views aren't shaped in seconds, but we dismiss them in seconds. Absolutely. Your point of view is formed by growing up in Texas, your parents, your family, your friends, your first four jobs, your college, same thing with mine. And they could be very, very different. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the heart of it, and you're right, I want as much diversity around me as possible because it helps me learn and understand how to communicate. Even though I don't have to agree objectively with some oh, things, yeah. it doesn't mean that person's wrong. It's just their point of view. So how do you, do you guys publicly acknowledge some of these things internally and talk about them openly? Or do you just kind of let it run and make sure that it's being diverse enough and inclusive enough that people are polite and how do you manage that? Because I'm sure- It's definitely come up. There have been, yeah, I'm sure in the in past eight weeks, there's oh, been a couple, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. The, I think the last two months in the world, if you're in a business, it's shout out to the HR people because you are having mm-hmm. sleepless nights. One of, so two things here. So one of the things that we've done is we basically said, we respect everybody's point of view. If you want to disagree, that's fine, but have a conversation. So for example, sure. I personally put something up on my LinkedIn that a lot of people might disagree with, and that was okay. And then the next day I had a conversation with my own team, my own people team, and said, hey, if you did not agree with what I said, I would still respect it. And we could have a conversation about it. And I actually did have a couple of one-on-one conversations with people that said, I want to understand why you think the way that you think and how it could be different for me as a person. So that's one. And I'll go into detail about, we also had another situation where the shooting in Buffalo. So that came to be, 
obviously that had a major impact on everyone, but specifically our black employees. So we decided to, we went a different route. Like we decided, okay, we're going to go out on this. So we basically told everyone, every black employee, you don't have to come to work, come back when you need to come to work. I read your post. Yeah, that was one. We then told them, you know what, if you consider yourself to be an ally, you allies need to get together and have a conversation on how you can help us. And we not being the room, AKA we as in black people not be in the room so that you are not causing further harm with your questions, because we want you to be able to ask whatever you need to ask, but it not be harmful to the other employees. So we did that. So we have gone many different routes to be inclusive, but to also say, if someone doesn't agree with you, where you just have to deal with it. So when I made my own political post, I kind of gave Megan and Chris a heads up and said, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is very important to me. I'm very passionate about it. Their response is go for it, but be ready that everyone's not going to agree. And if an employee wants to talk to you about it, be ready to have a conversation. Right. Yeah. I read your post. I read all sorts of posts from <laughs> during, during, by the way, during Buffalo. And, and by the way, when I read it, I was like, I have not seen anyone in HR take that strong of a stand or make the moves you guys made, which full respect, right? I mean, you just got to, the fact that you were able to do that on your own personal level and have your company support you is excellent. And the reason I asked the question is I saw the post and I thought, I wonder what happened after mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Right. Because there are haters in both sides oh, of the fence, yeah. right? It's, it's just shocking to see people come out and come out with claws. And again, it just, it sparks a conversation, like to help me understand why you feel that way. Roe versus Wade, help me understand why you feel the way you feel. And when you have conversations on both sides, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a father, you know, if anything ever happened to my wife, or my daughter, or my sisters, I would have a really strong opinion about handle that. I'm a Christian as well, so I have my own strong opinions on the other way. But when you really get down and understand what somebody's trying to get after, it's odd because people talk about their rights, right? A lot of the same people have the same opinions. Agree yeah. fundamentally that you should have your own rights, how they manifest them, and and there's a lot more deeper conversations behind this. But it was interesting to watch people get very visceral, mm-hmm. dismiss each other very quickly. And I would bet that 99% of the people that posted something with vitriol don't, hadn't even actually read any of the laws or the rulings. So they don't really understand what they're talking about, but they sure have opinions. And that's where people have to kind of just take it down a notch, have an open conversation. And I was always so, open to having a conversation, but I will get, tell you right. this funny story. So after I made that post, there were several people who tagged Chris and Megan, or there was one person who took a screenshot and sent it to Chris and Megan and said, this is your VP of people. What are you going to do about it? Now, mind you, I was not intimidated by these tactics because I have a great relationship with Megan and Chris and they know who I am and they know what I stand for. And it's not like an employee was going to come to me and I was going to say, oh no, like you have to believe what I believe. But on my own personal LinkedIn, I'm going to say what I want to say. And so it was pretty ironic because when they were doing these things, like Megan was telling me about it and she's like laughing. (laughs) So her stance is, you know, we're proud of you. You have to do what you think you need to do. Now you're not speaking on behalf of Refine Labs, which I was not. I was speaking on behalf of Jessica Williams. So I think that's the distinction. But it was ironic that people were doing that. Like they legit were were screenshotting it and sending it to Chris and Megan. (laughs) So by the way, this gets, this is one of the reasons I was so, I was looking forward to this episode because you're pushing the boundaries on this distinction between a personal brand and a company brand. And I agree with you. I think, by the way, you gave Chris and Megan a head. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm okay, in so they were prepared, which is really important. Right? <laughs> if you're going to put out a piece like that, giving them a heads up, it's just respectful. Yeah. It's just courteous, right? And they had your back. They're like, yeah. They said, you're going to get some heat. 
we might get some heat. We're both good with it. And I think it's hard for, by the way, the concept of side hustles and personal brands mm-hmm. is so hard mm-hmm. for people. I hate to say this, even my age. <laughs> I'm totally good with it because I've had side hustles all my life. Oh, I love yeah. them. But it's so hard for people to let go because that trust issue comes back, right? And this gets to trust. If I trust Jessica to have an opinion and to draw a line between her personal opinion and what we do here as a business. And sometimes, by the way, I want you to bring your personal opinion into the business. That's where the diversity comes from. But you also recognize I have a job to do and my opinion can't be forced upon the 120 people that work here. So it's great. I'm really glad you you were able to shed some light on that and how it went down inside and outside the company. Mm-hmm. And we had, I will acknowledge, like we really did have conversations. Like because sure. of that post, I actually had employees reaching out to me to tell me their stories and like to talk to me about it. And that would have never happened before. And sure. I'm being, let me be clear, in no other company would I have felt comfortable to do so. So yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I know that a lot of C-level people and HR people didn't even know how to come out oh, no. uh, the door. And I have a lot of people d- DM me C-suites people and say, wow, like we like kudos to you for being brave enough to say what you said on either side. But yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So when you think about talent as the most important thing in, in the business and you look at growing the company from 120 employees to 200 employees and 300 employees, what are you looking at? from a hiring and a training development standpoint that people haven't been doing that you think should be done? Is there something out there that you're leaning into that says, man, nobody's doing this. We should be. Well, I think it's something that we're doing it and we're just doing it in a different way. So we are doing extensive career mapping. So when you have these high growth individuals, they come in, they know what they're doing. They're at a high level. You can't then say, and like stay a little while and then you'll become a VP or do this and you can move to a different department. No, we have very extensive, like every role has a career map on how to move up. And in every role also has, I truly believe everybody does not need to be a manager. There are a lot of people managers right now that are just good experts and they should not be managing a single soul. So we have an individual contributor track, which, and then we have a management track because you should not be penalized for not wanting to manage people, but you should still get the same amount of money. So that is something. So there's two tracks for every different role. So every role, and they're visible to everyone. So if somebody wanted to see my career track, they can go look at it. And if I wanted to see somebody else's, they can look at it. So we've opened it up to everyone to see what other people's tracks are in case you want to go to a different team. Like we believe in lateral moves. So the transparency around career mapping and making it visible on based on roles. Now, mind you, we do have growth tracks. We call them for individuals, like an individual between you and your manager. But the career mm-hmm. mapping is company-wide. It's for every role and it's visible to everybody. That's brilliant. And by the way, it takes a lot of work. Hell yeah. <laughs> like it took months, months to I do this. <laughs> and it's never, it's never going to stop. Right? No, as I'm redoing grows, it now. Br- I'm redoing it. You yeah, have new roles. You'll have 20 new roles by the end of the year that you hadn't even had before. And how do we map those people, Right. So this is where I'm so intrigued because human resources has always been, you know, oh, it's kind of an afterthought. It's not, you know, when I ran my first startup, in fact, uh, Debbie Edmondson was my VP of HR there. We're still very close. She changed the game for our company. We were doing fundamentally just things wrong. But like you, she's got a very different attitude about how to do this. And I saw her build a couple of really strong HR functions with training and development. And most of the training was getting people in, adopted to the culture and the learning paths. So- as you develop individual and management career paths, I can't imagine what that's like sitting with someone coming on board the company and say, here's your opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they get like it on their first company, day, their first day. Which like, is amazing. You just started with us and now here's how to move up. That's amazing because so many companies, I'm guilty of it, they don't map. 
they don't know what to tell people. And by the way, it also changes who you hire. It does. Because if you, it also, it's interesting because we are open enough to actually give it to people when they're interviewing. So actually we've had people ask like, okay, well, I'm, I'm interested in this role, but what's the path forward? And we will share like, oh, here's a career map. Here's what you could be in the future if you wanted to. Sure. But I'll be honest and say, one, it was a lot of work. And two, yeah. it's ever changing. And if you're not keeping track of the pathways employees will ask you, like, I've had employees be like, hey, this doesn't make any sense anymore because we add a new role. And I'm like, you're right. I need to change that. It's more work than the culture playbook <laughs> because you have to change it more. <laughs> well, and, it's, and there's a lot of data involved, right? This doesn't just mean role, title, responsibility, oh, no. but comp comes along. Who are the competitors? Where could they possibly come from? Where could they go? And- we want it to be realistic too. So it actually has what you what we need to see you do before you will be considered for the next role. Which is great. <laughs> Right. So yeah. somebody says, I haven't been promoted. Well, you haven't done these exactly. things we agreed Here's upon. Here's what you need to do. Sure. <laughs> the other thing it's neat is you talked about this alumni network, right? I'm very a big believer in sitting down with someone at some point going, you know what? Our two paths aren't right for you. Yes. Me. I just see you doing this. What do you think? This is what I see. And have you considered this type of opportunity? Like your friend that was a demand gen now is a VP. I love those situations where they've outgrown us or outpaced us. That happens. Yeah. That has happened. And those two people I'm thinking of are like... I talk to them the most. They are always up on what's going on at Refine Labs. They want to know. They, you know, they still talk to people that are, they still have friends here, but sometimes it just is not the right fit. And so how do we help you move to the next place, knowing that we're trying to be strategic and maybe that's a future client, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so tell us about the podcast that you and Megan are doing. How the first few episodes have gone? Where do you see it going when you started it and where you are now? Have you changed your thoughts on where it's going to evolve? Oh, yes. So Megan and I started a podcast called the Talent Destination Podcast, where we're talking about all things culture. So it's focused on what are we doing at Refine Labs now? What do we want to be doing? So we call what we want to be doing our North Star. So what are we, what's the North Star? What are we going towards? So when it started out, it's pretty ironic because I remember Megan saying she was starting a podcast and I thought, oh, that's cool. I want to come on and be a guest. And then she said, oh, no, no, it's me and you. <laughs> and I, I didn't know that until I was like, oh, okay. So starting out, we had to like brainstorm on what do we want this to be in very culture, employee relations, going through all of those things and having guests that we want to learn from. So from the very beginning, it's been a lot of conversations with Megan and I, but here recently we've been bringing in a lot of guests. So our most recent guest was Dr. Kaday and she's like a DNI specialist. So we had her come in and talk about what do we need to do? Like where is Refine Labs right now? And what do we want to do in the future? And being very realistic and transparent about we're not where we need to be and what are we going to do specifically when it comes to recruitment? How are we making this a priority? So the podcast has definitely evolved, but it's all things culture, what you need to do. So Megan normally comes at it from an operations standpoint. So how can we offer, how can you make this into operations? And then I come at it from a people ops, like how does this impact employees and what are we going to do about it? It's amazing. And, you know, when we talk about the word diversity, I had a gentleman named Don Thompson on this podcast and Don's a DNI expert. One of the, one of the early ones in the country is fantastic. Really, really smart guy. And, you know, we talked about diversity and how people misuse the term, right? And I think Don had some really key points you have as well. When you get 10 people around a table who have very different backgrounds, you can name all the diversity titles that you would give people. It's amazing when they share their input and their viewpoints, how it helps other employees understand. It helps you understand your customers better. And it just leads to what I call the right decision or the best decision versus someone's personal decision which is so important. When you think about the biggest challenges you guys are going to face in growth, what keeps you up at night? 
Oh yeah. I mean, recruitment keeps me up at night in general, like hitting the numbers that we need to for new clients. So okay. making sure that we have the right people in place. I also think for me, it keeps me up at night, like the culture in general, like making sure that our culture is what we want it to be. So like, for example, we decided to implement summer Fridays. So every other Friday people are off. Well then in my mind, how does that impact our clients? And then how is that delaying client deliverables. And if so, then the the service delivery team is going to feel like they can't take time off. So I'm very big on things being fair. So when we roll out something, if one group, it's not fair to them because they can't participate, it really makes me like, it keeps me up. So that's something I'm very aware of. Like we want to do all these fun things, but how does that impact our employees that are are client facing? Because they won't be able to participate. Yeah. There's always, especially in human resources, there's always a catch. There's always one audience that doesn't benefit or is hurt by something. In every company I've ever ran, I've always given people off the week between Christmas and New Year's. Shut the company down. People said, well, why do you do that? Well, first of all, most of our customers are shut down, right? And it's just a midwinter time to refresh with your family and be close to them. But always there's going to be a group of people who are on the front lines that need to be there. And so we plan very heavily for that and make sure that they have an opportunity to take a week at whatever time they want to and just work out those coverages, which it puts a little bit of a challenge on the managers to work that logistically. Yeah. So I totally get how that becomes a challenge. When you think about meeting hiring plans to fulfill growth, right? You're landing customers. You got to make sure the delivery teams are capable. What's the most challenging role you guys are trying to fill consistently? I definitely say our director of demand generation. Yeah, without a doubt. It's the one that we, it's like an evergreen role. We are always hiring for it. And I think if we were willing to accept different type of talent, (laughs) you know, like if we were willing to train, we would have a different client pool. But right now we are not willing to train. You need to come in and hit the ground. (laughs) So I know a couple of people have applied for that job who I know are really sharp people and didn't meet the bar. So that's why. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. It's, it's really, it's a high bar. And I think that's why you're landing eight players, right? So these, for people that are listening to the podcast, the director of Dimension the folks are, they're an artist, they're a scientist, they're an astronaut, they're a triathlete. They do all these things and they could see around corners and, you know, they're working in a world that changes every day. So they have to be able to adapt and, and fall back on a lot of experience. And by the way, really strong customer facing role. Absolutely. And they have to, I mean, they are the face of Refine Labs. So it's also just so important. So that's one of the ones I've sat through a couple of interviews and I'm like, whoa, like at the very end, they have to give a presentation and we act like we're the customer. And yeah, <laughs> pretty intense. <laughs> so wrapping this up, predictions for human resources as a function or talent development going forward? What do you see the biggest changes industry-wide? I see the big, I always talk about like traditional HR and I've I've been known to say burn HR to the ground. And that's what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Like the old school, you only worry about compliance. You're thinking about like, oh, how does, is this a legal thing? You know, I, Mm -hmm. I laugh and say like, HR is not legal. Like most people in HR are not lawyers. So why are we acting like we are the legal defense? We are not separate yourselves from legal. Like you need to be worried about culture and employees and not the legal side of it. That needs to be a lawyer. So I think we're going towards a more, I'd say more like open HR is what I aim to be. I want to be able to be transparent and open and still, you know, do what I need to do, be respectful to the business, but also say what's really going on. Like, why does everything have to be hidden? I don't understand it. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like a much more common sense approach to HR versus... (laughs) people getting caught up in the legal side of things, 
Right. Anytime somebody asks me something about legal, I'm like, well, I don't know. Ask somebody else. Like, I'm not going to be the pseudo Google lawyer. (laughs) Well, and you're right. I mean, if you just inherently be transparent, open, common sense, courtesy, treat people like you want to be treated, a lot of good things happen. Exactly. You wouldn't need it if you didn't have to be defensive. That's my stance. (laughs) <laughs> I love the fact that you wrote your guidebook in your own voice. Oh, I did. If anybody go read it and you will laugh. Like anybody, I showed it to a couple of members of my family and they're like, I cannot believe they let you put this out there. <laughs> like, yeah, they did. They love it. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I have to thank you because I, when I do these podcasts, normally I'm, I'm coming at this from a very different perspective about somebody having a moment in their life where they they were doing something wrong, mm-hmm. they need crow. But I was so fascinated by what you've done here. This is like the most tactical podcast I've done. Oh, was that's awesome. good. <laughs> it was like I'm going to listen to it again and take. I couldn't even try to take notes because I wouldn't keep up. Yeah, I love it. So, Jessica, it was great. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your success at Refine Labs. And I'm a follower. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your content. And and now that I know how you kind of balance it, I'll be more intrigued to see what else you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Great having you. <laughs> Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.